and I'm very excited to have uh, Brittany Alexander, Yuli Ibarra, right? Did I say Her. that right, Yuli? And yeah. Sasha Parker. The industry we're in is very male dominated. So as females, we're bringing a different perspective. Being in the industry or being, you know, and then people would ask me like, what do you do? Oh, I work for public, well, what's a public adjuster? And I, I just- To me, that's one of the most important things about women coming into the industry is is that a thing is that a question you ask or any any adjuster that comes on and you say hey look this is what the job entails are you prepared to do stuff like this you're gonna have to be on the field it's miami it's florida wherever you're at in a ladder of success of whatever your chosen career or path is i think it's important to bring people with you as you move up the ladder I kind of found myself constantly explaining what i did or what the company I work for did, what a public adjuster was. Since I've done that, it has been, I have a renewed passion for for everything. I don't know if you guys will nod your head or if you guys could agree, but I think the reason, I think what helps us become also better mentors is because we had good, good mentors for ourselves. But we now have three other um, female PAs, uh, one which I did mentor and train and What's up, advocates, and welcome back to another episode of the Claims Game Podcast. What a special episode we have for you today, an all-ladies panel of Claims Game Podcast. Before I get into that, make sure that you follow us on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and uh, Facebook. Make sure that you go on our website, uh, www.commercialclaimsadvocate.com, to find out everything that you need to know about my mentoring and coaching, about this book uh, that we have for sale, that we're going to have for sale, about our live Zoom courses, and about our meetups. We have so many things going on, and you can get all of that information. And now we have an amazing free ebook that we're giving away that all you have to do is give us your email address. It's not an email grab. We are actually going to provide you with very valuable information in like a 35-page ebook that you're going to get if you leave your uh, email address on the website. Um, and what was I going to say is make sure that you follow this um, wherever you're watching. Make sure you like and comment on this podcast on YouTube, on Spotify, on uh, Google Podcasts, and on iTunes as well. So let's get right into it. Today, we've got an amazing episode, all lady panel of public adjusters and just insurance claim adjusters because we've got an attorney too. So the first person that we have is Sarah Parker. Sarah Parker, I say this only about a very select few of people. Uh, she's one of the smartest people I know. She's an amazing public adjuster out of Minneapolis. Her company is Parker Public Adjusting. She's a motivational speaker. She is a mentor, and she is super, super intelligent. F make sure that you follow her on Facebook because you could just send her a message, and I guarantee you, I promise you, I'm telling you this without even asking her, if you send her a message and you ask her a question about claims, she will answer you, okay? She's an amazing writer. She's got an amazing blog on her website, and you have to just check this out. So Sarah Parker, really great. Yuli Rodong is a public adjuster uh, out of Miami, Florida, in uh, Monarch Claims. Monarch Claims is a killer public adjusting firm in Miami, Florida. And the, way, the reason why I say it's a killer firm is because they've got everything laid out, policies, procedures, and an actual legitimate uh, a sophisticated way of not only running their business, but handling their insurance claims. If you look them up on, on Google, you'll see five-star ratings and a lot of reviews because they don't screw up. They represent their policyholders the way they're supposed to, and a big reason for that is Yuli and, and her team at Monarch. And then the last person is the famous, the infamous Brittany Alexander. You can get her. Uh, she's a lawyer.brit on Instagram. Really great follow, really great information. She is taking this attorney and litigation, attorney uh, insurance claims uh, law 
to social media with just great education, great knowledge. She's a public speaker as well. Her company is Premier Property Law. If you want an attorney for your claims, put Brittany Alexander on your list. You want her on your list. She's a killer attorney, very good at what she does, and just a lot of valuable information on social media. She's got a really great podcast as well. And that's what we got. I'm really excited. I've been wanting to do an all-female panel for a while. We finally did it, so I hope you enjoy it. We talk about everything from females in public adjusting to the claims process to get these claims settled and the things that we need to do to be successful as adjusters and in being victorious on these insurance claims. So I hope you enjoy this episode, a very special episode. And if you're a lady, you got to be watching this. So enjoy the Claims Game Podcast. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. All right, a uh, very, very special episode that we have today. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast. I've been wanting to do this podcast for a very long time, and it's with just ladies in our industry. And I'm very excited to have uh, Brittany Alexander, Yuli Ibarra, right? Did I say sure. that right, Yuli? And yeah. Sasha Parker. So we've got, I'm going to start with, uh, with Brittany. Brittany Alexander is an attorney. Uh, her firm is Premier Property Law. Uh, she's been practicing for quite a while now, and she's got a huge social media presence uh, on, on YouTube, on Facebook, and especially on Instagram. So Brittany, welcome. Thanks, Vince. Happy to be here. And then we've also got Yuli Ibarra. Yuli Ibarra is a public adjuster. Uh, she's been uh, she's been in the industry for quite a while now, uh, fourteen years to be exact. And uh, she's been a public adjuster now for I think it's been what two, three years. An actual licensed public adjuster with Monarch, right? Yes. Oh, you correct. Yes, two years. Okay. Yes. And yes. Am I breaking and, up again? Uh, oh, a little no. bit, but that's okay. Um, she's got, she works for Monarch Claims and she, um, she's just great. I've met her several times. I've been on a podcast. She's been on our podcast before. Again, this is the second time you're on the podcast. You? Yes, thank you. Thank uh, you. Glad to be and, back. And I'm just really happy to have just another female in the, in the uh, industry on this podcast. And then we've got Sarah Parker. Sarah Parker it lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sarah Parker is a public adjuster and she's been a public adjuster since 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She took our course and she really stood out because Sarah knows a ton about what she's doing. Like she said, she's got a lot of great mentors. She mentioned that before we got on. And frankly, one of the smartest people I know. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, Sarah. Thank you. I'm very flattered. <laughs> and Sarah's got, Sarah's got a blog that she just started. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But I think it's only, it's only right to start, I guess, since we've got ladies here in the industry, I'd like to start with sort of, um, you know, uh, one thing that we were discussing off, off air was, I think it was Brittany, you mentioned we, we need more ladies in the industry. And that's the reason why I wanted to do this, because I think I've, I've told this to Yuli in the past, where I think that public adjusters 
female public adjusters can be extremely successful in this industry. And that's for a couple of reasons. One of them, I think, is because the sales aspect of it. I think you go door to door or you speak to a new client or a client has just suffered a catastrophic loss to have that female presence come in and tell them, hey, look, I'm a public adjuster. My job is to do X, Y, and Z. We can take care of you and everything is going to be okay. I think that's extremely beneficial. But then also negotiating with the insurance company, meeting the adjusters out in the inspection where you could just sort of get that camaraderie with that person. You could bring that male sort of chauvinistic, uh, I guess, weight down a bit, say, hey, look, like, you know, because like I'll go to an inspection and sometimes they just kind of want to fight. I don't see that happening as often. I hope not uh, if a female public adjuster or female even attorney goes up there and, and does that. But anyway, I'm getting off topic, I guess, a little bit. Brittany, if you could discuss a little bit about obviously needing more ladies in this industry. Yeah, it, it, even beyond, you know, just in the field, just dealing with clients in general, right? So everybody brings a different perspective and different experiences to whatever industry they're in. And, you know, the industry we're in is very male dominated. So as females, we're bringing a different perspective into this. So like my perspective coming into this was primarily to educate. So that's why I, you know, I started my, my Instagram lawyer Britt started educating people. So instead of just like, hey, I need to get out there and, and market and bring in claims, it was a lot of like, well, I think the first order of business is to educate people. And maybe that's just, you know, a different perspective that I had, you know, as a female in this industry, not knowing a single thing in the beginning, wanting to educate people first, you know, just a, a different perspective. And if you girls, if Julie, if you could piggyback on that, why why do you think it's why do you think it's important to just have more ladies in this industry? Well, I definitely agree with Britt um, on the education part. And that's actually why we started, you know, our podcast was to educate homeowners, to advocate, you know, for them. And I definitely do think that, you know, us women, we bring, it's, it's like a different kind of, uh, I want to say like power, you know, to, to the table and to the negotiations and everything. And I feel like we can do it um, the same as any other, you know, male PA or, but um, I feel like we, you know, we have, just in general, women, we have better negotiation, you know, techniques. I don't know. I think it's it's harder for us to lose. I don't know if the other ladies um, agree with us, but I think that um, bringing that, you know, to the industry, to to the to, with the, to other adjusters, um, I think they see that. And then, of course, we have a soft side, um, you know, so we have to use that to, to our advantage, you know, to yeah, help, it, you know, our, our clients. It's like I said, I mean, a lot of times I'll get on the phone, even like I'm saying, and I forget in person, but even on the phone, I'll call an adjuster and we start going back and forth and it, it gets a little hostile sometimes. Not to say it's not going to happen because you're a lady, uh, but I don't know. I think sometimes I probably come off. It's I'll even blame myself at times. I probably come off as a little strong. Um, and, I, and I do feel like just negotiating with the other side, speaking to them about your common interest, which is always the insured. Let's, you know, let's work together. Let's figure this mm -hmm. out. Uh, I mean, I just, I just think that, you know, um, having just an understanding and I just feel like women do have a little bit of a better understanding of seeing the other side of having some compassion for the other side, whether that be with the insured right. or whether that be with the, uh, with the opposing counsel or whether that be with, um, with the opposing adjuster, uh, Sarah, it's what do you EQ, think? Are I think it's what EQ, right? So women usually tend to have a higher EQ, emotional intelligence than men. So that probably comes into play with what you're saying. No, a hundred percent. Um, Sarah, what do you think are some of the advantages? I really like what Britt said about the perspectives. I think that's, to me, that's one of the most important things about women coming into the industry is 
I do believe that everyone has uh, something to offer, um, which is why I have a huge network that I bounce ideas off of all the time, um, because you can't be your own sounding board. And the more of a diverse group of people that you have, uh, you're going to get a lot of different valuable perspectives on things. And um, that can only can only be good. So you were speaking about something earlier off camera, Sarah, about about you have a good sort of group of mentors that you are able Absolutely. to look Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely I was, wonderful. I was talking about that in our course yesterday about the importance of having a mentor. Like there's like, you know, you need to know where to get your license. You need to find a place to educate yourself. You need to find a good firm. But honestly, on top of all that, hopefully your firm could provide it. But mentorship is very important. And I think the three of you with the experience that you have, have become, I'm sure, mentors to others as well. Um, since Sarah, since you had brought that up off camera, could you tell me a little bit about your experience, not only having a good mentor or its importance, but also having the opportunity to mentor others? Absolutely. So when I first uh, got my public adjuster license, no one would hire me, uh, which I don't blame them for because it was just this random person calling up, you know, PA firms in my area saying, Hey, I have zero experience <laughs> in the insurance industry. Uh, will you hire me? And, um, you know, to hire a public adjuster, there's so much education that needs to go into that to be able to, to perform your duties effectively. Uh, so I don't blame them, first on. Um, but I was forced to basically start learning on my own. How does this work? How do I help my clients? You know, all of those things. So basically, I just started calling people. You know, I'd look up... Uh, XYZ law firm or find people online and call them and say, hey, I'm a new public adjuster. Can you answer some questions? You would be astonished about how receptive people are and how willing they are to help people who are passionate and excited to do the best that they can do. So I'm very much a product of some fantastic mentors that are still with me today and that I keep in touch with. Um, when you mentor someone else, that, oh my gosh. I cannot, it's so beautiful. Let's just say that. So um, when you mentor someone else, you revisit and you relearn things that you've forgotten or just basic things. Um, when you are teaching someone else, you are also learning. And not only with that, but I've had some of my, my mentees just, oh my goodness, just do some things that I'm so proud of. Um, one thing that I always teach people is just because someone says something doesn't mean that it's true. Find evidence, back it up. Where did you learn that? Why did you learn that? Who did you learn it from? Was there evidence to go with this? Um, because, well, first off, that's how you do your job as a public adjuster. You need evidence for everything um, you know that you're arguing. Um, but also because there's some coverage things that people don't know about. Um, man, I had a, a, a mentee come to me and ask me a specific question. And I told them, you know what? I don't think that it's possible for these reasons, but you should try. And, um, you know, even with me, I always tell my mentees, even with me, second guess what I say, look it up for yourself, learn for yourself. They came back to me a few months later and said, Sarah, I got it approved. And I was just like, that's that's exactly what exactly what you should be doing is just testing everything. 
you know, you know what I love is that all four of us here, we've got a social media, a bit of a social media influence, some more than others, and it's really allowed us to, it's really allowed us to take on that mentorship role, right? And it's so, so rewarding uh, when we're able to help others out and and just sort of guide them through their career because I think I will. I don't know if you guys will nod your head or if you guys could agree, but I think the reason, I think what helps us become also better mentors is because we had good, good mentors for ourselves. Um, Brittany, in regards to how have you, what's, what's been the effect for you as far as being able to help others in your industry uh, as a result of your social media influence and the people you've got? Because I don't know about you, and I know for sure because you've got a lot of followers. I get messages every day of people asking me questions. Uh, what's it like to, ha- to now be able to sort of fulfill that role that I'm sure someone was there to help you and now you're there to help others? It's so much fun. I love answering DMs, sending voice messages, giving somebody a little like tidbit or just pointing them in the right direction. It's fun for me. I, I love building my social media presence. And honestly, I mean, I get DMs like, Hey, I just bought a house and I have this issue, but a lot, a lot of my DMS, my emails, people reaching out to me are like, Hey, like, how do I start posting this? Or like, what was this first step you did here? Or, you know, just information about how to get started on social media. So, I mean, I love it. So I'm like a social media geek. So it's, it's, it's like, it's fun for me beyond just, you know, helping other people. It's like fun for me to talk about and kind of strategize with other people about it. And, um, something else that popped into my mind when Sarah was talking is um, having multiple, having mentors in multiple different areas, so to speak. So, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have many mentors, but not all of them are attorneys. Not all of them are in this industry. Some of them are in completely different industries, but they have accomplished things that I want to accomplish. So I like asking them for their perspective and their views and, you know, what they would do in certain situations. I think that's important to get different, again, perspectives. I mean, it's the age old thing that they always say you want to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, you know, exactly. Um, Julie, I'm sure you could also attest to this, right? I mean, I know I've been to your office. I don't know how many licensed PAs you've got. I know you have women working in the office, um, but I feel, and I don't know if I'm stepping over my boundaries. I feel like you're one of the, the, the more experienced female PAs in the office, correct? Uh, I am, but we now have three other um, female PAs, uh, one which I did mentor and train. And um, so where I come from, um, or the firm that I was with, that I was with the 12 years, um, I was not a PA, it was a small business, or it was only men that were the PAs. Um, And not just because, you know, we were women, but it was kind of like, they really didn't allow people to really, you know, not that they didn't like to get licensed, but they didn't really promote, you know, that, um, that progress. Um, so I learned as much as I could, you know, during my time there, um, every department, every step of the way, the whole entire process, just not being a licensed PA. And then, um, you know, I had known the president of Monarch for a couple of years, gave me the opportunity, you know, to come over and I became a licensed PA. And then I didn't even know how much I knew until I actually, you know, started, teaching other people or helping other people. And that's when I realized, you know, all this knowledge that I had from, you know, that I had gathered in 12 years, how valuable it was. Um, and once I started mentoring other people, training other people, um, it's, it's very rewarding, you know, to, you know, like um, Sarah was saying, you, when you teach something, it's like, you learn it again, you review it again. And then that's when I realized, you know, what I knew, how much I knew. And 
and seeing, you know, other mentors or people that I train now training other people. It's like, it's, it's, it's so rewarding, you know, to, to see that, to help other people and then to see that they can continue helping others as well. And that, you know, your knowledge gets, you know, passed on or, or what was passed on to you, you continue growing. Um, something I tell my mentors also, it's like, nobody knows everything. You know, I don't know everything, you know, nobody knows everything. Um, in this industry, in this business, there's so many different scenarios. There's so many different cases. I still see cases that I've never seen in 14 years. I've never seen a case like it. Um, so it's all about, you know, using your resources, um, whether you have mentors or, or just other people in the industry that you know, it's reaching out to those resources um, before you, you know, make a final decision or before you, you know, take a step, you know, it's reaching out looking for help, asking questions. There's nothing wrong with always asking questions. We're all learning every day. We learn something new. Do you guys feel like you have a responsibility to, to try to bring up the, the industry and bring in more females? Sarah, you're nodding your head. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about I, that. Or, or, or Yuli. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I actually have an interview this afternoon, a Zoom interview with a potential PA candidate and it's a female, so... Is that, it's like different about that is that like you're like a little bit more excited about that not do you would it be for other people is that like is that a little bit different like yeah let's bring them on we want to try to see if we can get that going um i mean we do agree we need more females in the industry and in, in the company um i mean i'm excited for any new pa that wants to learn that wants to join the team that wants to grow but it's definitely exciting to know it's another you know another possible female pa joining the team sarah you were nodding your head when i initially asked the question <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think all three of us are definitely on the same page. It, we feel it's a, a responsibility, um, not only just to thank our mentors by by doing the same thing, but because every single thing that we're doing in our careers every day, people 50 years ago, 40 years, I mean, public adjusters have been around since the 1940s. So, you know, everything that we're utilizing to advocate for our clients, someone else put the effort in and may have not even seen the fruits of their labor during their career, but they cared enough about policyholders and they cared enough about us without knowing us to do that. So it's a huge responsibility to elevate the industry. Brittany, did you have a comment about that? Yeah, I just wholeheartedly agree with what Sarah was saying, especially in the legal field, there are plenty of people who have never seen the fruits of their labor, but at any point in time, I think it's important wherever you're at in a ladder of success of whatever your chosen career or path is, I think it's important to bring people with you as you move up the ladder, especially women, because it's somewhat different of an experience from men and in, in, especially in male dominated industries. So helping another woman navigate that is very important to me. Yeah, it's. Definitely male dominated. And I still don't understand. Like I go to the, we had our last meetup in Tampa. It was way too many men. Can you guys come to my meetups, please? We need more women. We will. <laughs> you yeah, know? I'll be there. The Miami one. <laughs> it just, it just doesn't, it, it really doesn't make sense to me. Um, what do you, this would be more towards uh, Yuli and Sarah. Um, how do you guys like the job uh, in general besides the, and I, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to point this more towards Yuli and Sarah because we're out on the field a lot, right? And I'm sure you guys could agree. Um, how do you guys like the part of the industry of 
getting your boots on and getting up on getting that ladder set up and getting on that roof and inspecting the shingles and doing everything you got to do and walking a commercial association and having to go from building to building. And how do you guys like that part of the job? That's to either whoever wants to answer that question. Sarah. Oh, okay. Julie. Okay. Um, so my role is a little diverse. I'm not on the field so much because of, you know, I also, you know, have some administrative, um, you know, management roles in the office, but whenever I do go out in the field, um, I love it. Honestly, you know, I love going on the field, getting up on the roof, um, pulling up to a house, you know, I've had a couple, like, sometimes I'll take my husband's truck to an inspection and then like, here I step out of this like huge truck and I'm five feet tall and the adjusters look at me like, oh, I, I was, a, they thought it was a guy or they're expecting somebody else. And I just, I think those are, it's fun, you know, to have those, um, those comments and to know that, you know, there's nothing I can't do in getting up at a roof, climbing up a ladder, um, you know, conducting inspection. I, I think it's fun. I enjoy it when I get those, those field days that I get to go out and, and conduct those inspections. And uh, people would ask me, are you, you know, not afraid of, are you afraid of heights? And I said, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling, but I'm not afraid of heights. <laughs> is <laughs> that a few once you're up there? Is that a thing? Is that a question you ask or any, any adjuster that comes on and you say, Hey, look, this is what the job entails. Are you prepared to do stuff like this? You're going to have to be out in the field. It's Miami. It's Florida. It's hot. It's Minneapolis in the summer. It's hot yeah. to be out there. Is that something that you prepare them for? We do, especially at the interviews, we tell them, you know, make sure that they're not scared of heights, that they, they, they physically are able to climb a ladder, possibly two-story roofs, um, get into attics, you know, our estimators too. We do ask all those questions and we have a actually helped uh, some of our adjusters overcome, you know, the, the, you know, fear of heights or, you know, safety training, you know, how to get up on a, on a roof and things like that. So that's something that it's not an obstacle if they're willing to allow us to help them work through that. Um, but we have had some adjusters overcome some of those, you know, fears or, or obstacles. Sarah, are you, is your mic okay? Yeah. I had a little bit of technical difficulty there for a moment, but can you guys hear me all right? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So how yeah. do you like that portion of the job? I really enjoy it, uh, especially for, um, I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to ever, you know, do a historic structure, whether it's registered or just an older property. Um, but some of those are really neat. Um, I think it's very important for public adjusters to do so because you really need to understand the construction side of it. I always encourage public adjusters to also attend the restorations of your clients. You know, um, you stay out of the cruise way, but <laughs> some of them really enjoy that you're asking questions and that you're involved um, and want to know about it. So um, yeah, definitely attend the inspections, attend the builds. It's really important and it's, it's quite fascinating as well. So well, and I also think it's very important that we are out in the field as much as possible, that we are documenting the evidence because I'm sure Brittany can attest there's nothing mm -hmm. worse than getting a file three months, four months, five months after the loss occurs and you open up the file and there's no photos and there's no documentation. Yeah. That's probably a common problem, right? Yeah. All the time people will send me files and be like, is this a good claim? And then there's no photos of the roof. And I'll be like, I can't tell you. <laughs> and then they say she's not a good attorney because she can't work with this. Right. And then she's the bad attorney, right? Yeah. It's like, what? You can't settle this claim? Well, that's why yeah. I think it's a, it's important that we keep trying to educate people. I mean, that's honestly one of the biggest reasons why I started the course and I started training other adjusters is just because of the fact that I'm tired of hearing bad things about public adjusters because every public adjuster I meet, for the most part, are really great people, you know? 
like any other industry, you got your bad apples. But I could understand how if you are paying somebody 10, 15, 20% and they're not doing anything on your file, that could become rather annoying. Or if you've got attorneys who are trying to do their best at their end, they need to have the good public adjusters out there who know how to document the evidence. And I think the more that we continue to unite, not just ladies, but obviously public adjusters and everybody in this industry continue to uh, unite and feed off one another and, and ask questions and help each other and mentor each other. Honestly, I think we're going to get a lot stronger. I have a good feeling. I do see a nice future. Yes, the insurance companies are always trying to to put more limits on the policy and, and put more rules and laws and statutes against us and so on and so forth. But I do ultimately feel that if we continue to sort of come together, that it's just going to make our industry stronger and make our claims a lot better when we present them. And there are solutions coming for those coverage gaps too. What do you got, Sarah? What kind have of you guys heard of uh, United Policyholders at all? Mm -hmm. Yes, I have. They just celebrated 30 years of service. So they are the OG, you know, policyholder advocacy nonprofit. Um, they started out in California as a result of wildfires. Um, and the current executive director, Amy Bach, which is another female, a wonderful attorney. Um, she started UP and they work nationwide. And um, we are currently working on uh, something called the Restoring the Insurance Safety Net Coalition, or RISC, um, in which we're going to be doing um, some studies, gathering information about, you know, the emerging coverage gaps um, that are really just becoming quite detrimental and um, hopefully establishing in some way, shape, or form uh, minimum insuring standards, which is ambitious, but we can do it. Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, we're on real we're on uphelp.org, and it basically says says that United Policyholders, a nonprofit, five hundred one c three, whose mission is to be trustworthy and useful information resource and a respected voice for consumers of all types of insurance in all fifty states. We don't make money from insurance companies. We give you the straight scoop and guide you on buying insurance and navigating claims. Fight for your rights. I think that's awesome. Very we cool. need we need we need more things like that. I mean, we need more things that again, we're just doing whatever we can for the insured because if they're trying to do it for if they if the carrier is trying to do it against us and trying to make our lives difficult, ultimately they're only making the insured's life uh, much more difficult, you know, at the end of the day. So, what's it like in your industry, uh, Brittany? We're not attorneys. I already know that there's no women in the industry uh, in public adjusting, unfortunately. Not nearly enough. Just to tell you about the meetup, it was, like, ridiculous, like I said. Uh, what's it like in your industry uh, being a female? I think it's not It's not as. Not quite it's not. A, no, it's not as um, uneven, which is fantastic. I, I had a deposition this is probably almost a year ago now but I had a deposition and it was on zoom because you know everything's on zoom now and the witness opposing counsel myself attorney for the homeowner and the court reporter were all females and so we were all sitting on it was like and I had to comment on it I was like this is the first time I've had an all-female crew for a deposition it's great and it, you know it just kind of set the tone for that deposition was really great, but it's not nearly as uneven. I work with females on the other side and I know many other um, plaintiffs attorneys who are female on this side as well. So that's, it's enjoyable. I do like it. Do you think there's an advantage? Like a little bit of an advantage being a female? Somewhat, yes, because I, like we've been saying, you know, this industry is still kind of male dominated. So I think there's a bit of a little understanding still when you meet with another 
female because it's just like, hey, like, you know, there's a there's a share, there's something common, right? Whenever you speak with somebody and you're trying to negotiate with them, first step is to find common ground, you know, relate to them. So that's like the first thing right out of the bat, right? You know, that they've had similar experiences as, as you've had in this industry, in law, in law school. So it, it creates a, a connection right off the bat, which gotcha. I enjoy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things I wanted to discuss with all of you guys about uh, not just, I didn't want to just talk about female versus male industry, stuff like that. One of the things that I, I admire all three of you is that all of you guys ha- are a part of or own a a growing business. Uh, I know like uh, Brittany and I, we rely heavily on virtual assistants. I think Sarah also relies pretty uh, on virtual assistants as well. I know the last time I spoke with Sarah, she was in the process of really growing her team. Yuli um, and Monarch Claims have a tremendous setup uh, where they are not not virtual, not so much virtual, but they have just an amazing setup the way they've got their entire firm uh, set up, um, policies and procedures, uh, and everybody's role. Everybody understands what they do. Uh, Yuli, if you could tell us a little bit about Monarch and how you guys are are sort of unique and what makes you guys different. Yeah, so we do have a team of 24 public adjusters. Uh, most are um, licensed in multiple states. Uh, Florida, the Carolinas, Georgia, Texas, Louisiana, and then we have somebody who's like New Jersey, Nevada, you know, so some other uh, states. Um, We have, we're all in-house staff, so we don't have any virtual assistants, although we do have, um, you know, we have our team in Louisiana and everything gets handled here in the headquarter office in Miami. We do have also an office in Miramar, an office in um, Tampa. Uh, They're like, you know, smaller locations. Um, And the way we operate, so we're broken into departments. Everything's done in-house. We have an estimating team. You know, we have everybody's got their assistance, uh, mortgage procedures handled in-house as well, um, marketing, all of that. You know, so it's we have a very good um, system going on, and we've been expanding. You know, as of recently, as you know, we've been growing the office and expanding the team. Um, and I think honestly that the advantage that we have is, and, and it may sound cliche. We, our clients are really the forefront of our business. And this is something not that we say and that we advertise. It's something that's part of our culture. Um, Vince, you know, has met our team. He's been at our office. And um, it's something that we really, really make a part of our culture here in the office is the client is always the forefront. Um, starting from, you know, when a lead comes in, how the, ha- the claim gets handled, you know, by their adjuster, uh, the service they receive in the office from the assistants, the follow-ups they get, the outcome, obviously, of their, of their claim. Um, but we really, really strive to put our clients first, to put ourselves in their shoes um, and understand everybody's situation. You know, this is, you know, we're dealing with people's, you know, livelihoods with their homes, you know, whether it be a total loss, you know, in a hurricane or, you know, they're down a bathroom in a house, you know, full of kids or, you know, uh, a kitchen that's not working. But um, I think that what really sets us apart is, is that is, you know, we make our clients our priority and we work every day, you know, towards the same, that same goal. And it, yeah. it's worked out great. So it's extremely commendable. I've been to your office. Uh, I've talked to you guys a lot and it's just, it's really amazing the whole setup you guys got. Cause not only do you guys put the, the customer first, but you are a very family oriented business as well. And you could just tell Absolutely. that you guys all get along. You guys have each other's back and, and, and it's just, it, it just runs like a well-oiled machine. On the flip side, we've got Brittany who doesn't have that kind of thing necessarily going on. And she's more, a little bit more my style where everyone's pretty much virtual in their own 
not only their own home, but in their own country as well. Brittany, if you could tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. Not pretty much virtual, 100%. So we're like 100% remote. We do not have an office space. We need to meet with somebody in person. We get an office space we can meet them at. But otherwise, we're, everybody is completely virtual. So right now, we have a team of 12. Um, seven are, including myself, are domestic. And then we have five people abroad um, who are virtual assistants in the Philippines. And then, I mean, even across state lines. So we've got people working in different states as well within the U.S. for us. So 100% remote, 100% virtual. I love it that way. I really do. I think that when you have a remote team, you almost have, a, you, you have to like make a point. You have to actually try to connect people and talk to people. So it almost opens up the, uh, opens up communication more so that people make more you know, deeper connections or talking to each other more often um, than if you just like, you know, walked into an office one day and were like, hey, good morning. And, you know, just walked past somebody every day, which I enjoy. I like do that. you have do you have any any trouble building like company culture and like you guys getting along and just having that just sort of common goal, I guess? Not at all. I would say our company culture is really strong. You know, I always preach efficiency and communication to my team. So I always talk to them about external communication versus internal, not just talking to clients and talking to public adjusters, but talking within ourselves and making sure that everybody knows what's going on and, you know, working in collaboration. And we meet every week on Zoom and we have, you know, office parties on Zoom and we get together to celebrate things. So we're looking at each other and talking to each other all the time. I like that office party on Zoom. I got to do that. One. <laughs> yeah. We do, we do the weekly meetings also. We make sure we always follow our core values. You said, what were your two things you said? Efficiency and communication. We have execution and dependability. So it's, you know, nice. as long as everybody's on the same page. Sarah, how do you got your uh, your firm set up? I know you're really in a, in a, you're in a growth phase right now. You were getting a little overwhelmed, I remember. I think I think all of us could, could agree you don't really start hiring people until you get to the point where not only are you overwhelmed, but you start not, for me, it was I didn't want to sign any more claims. I just didn't want to sign anymore. I noticed myself sort of saying, ah, you could handle it yourself. Oh, that one's not worth it. Oh, I don't think I want to do it because I knew the work that would go on in the back and then I realized, okay, I need to start hiring people. Sarah, was that sort of like where you got to and now it's like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, I think for me, um, man, I, I'm sure some, some people that will watch this can relate. Uh, very much a person that likes to be hands-on with everything in my business. And if you're a business owner, you should not be totally hands-on with everything in your business. Um, one of my mentors has been screaming at me for about a year, um, a year prior to, to my most recent um, team hires, to just delegate. He's like, why are you doing this? You know, hire more. You know, you have to trust people to do a good job and they're going to add. They're not going to take anything from your company. Like, you know, you need to just have a good company culture, hire the right people, and it's going to do nothing but add. So since I've done that, it has been, I have a renewed passion for, for everything, for the business, uh, for what I do. And um, it's allowed me to also free up my creative thinking to um, improve our client experience, which is first and foremost, just like Yuli, and I'm sure just like Britt. Um, so yeah. Delegate, delegate, delegate. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just 
I think it's difficult, I think, in the beginning because it, it obviously costs money and you're not no mm -hmm. longer, I guess, getting 100% of the return. You're going to have to give some of that out. But you don't realize at the time until you actually make that leap that, that again, it, it gives you more time. It frees up more time for you to... That's a great comment that you said. I was going to say it frees up more time to sign more work and get more work, but forget that. It frees up more time to allow you to sort of hit that creativity portion of your brain to just sort of reset rest okay what else can i do to grow and so on and so forth i completely agree with that and vince that goes back to uh <clears throat> who not how mm -hmm. as well you know i had one of my mentors tell me like very early in my business that once you know you need somebody or you're you know essentially once you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. I need somebody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> once you, so one of my mentors told me what, you know, once you feel like you need somebody, you're overwhelmed, it's already too late. So, you know, be proactive in hiring people. And like, I've told you whenever, you know, we had our first interview, I hired my first virtual assistant, like four days into opening my firm. Cause I knew I wanted to set it up in a certain way. So I was thinking about like, okay, who do I need? Who can I hire? And I, I totally understand it's hard to like, let things go, but you know, just trust in yourself that you will find the right people to join your team. It's really good advice when you said to not wait until you're overwhelmed, because that's something that I have fallen into that trap as well. And luckily it's just, I guess, subconsciously, we've actually made two new hires in the past three weeks or so. One of them was we need it, we need it, we need it. But then the next one was sort of like a customer support person that we didn't really need at the time. But you know what? Let's set that up now so that as we continue to grow and we're going to have courses and stuff and products that we're going to be selling online, there's going to be a lot more influx of phone calls. Why hire somebody then? Let's hire somebody on the front end to take care of that. So I agree. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about, what would you, back to the women thing, what would you tell, as far as public adjusters is concerned, what, uh, what would you tell, what, what would you say for, for women to like, how, how would you get started into this industry? What would you advise, what would you advise them to sort of, um, maybe to prepare themselves or just how about this? I'd rather pose the question. What do you think are, are the benefits of being a public adjuster and being in this industry? Uh, we could pose that to Yuli. I mean, my first advice would be just not to be afraid, like, don't be afraid to, to to try anything that you want to do you know if, if that be public adjusting then don't be afraid try it do it you don't know if you're good at it until you try it um and if you have good mentors like you know we've been we're talking about the mentors if you have a good support system um then you're going to succeed you know if it's it's for you if you like it if you try it um i i think that, you know the biggest thing with doing anything is overcoming fear i think that's the most important thing I'm going to get back to that question, but you made me think no. of a better question. Yuli, <laughs> you first. How in the hell did you become a public adjuster? And why did you want to become a public adjuster? So, What's your story? Yeah, my story is, and I think I, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, so I studied public administration. Um, I thought I wanted to be a public servant. I worked for a municipality for five years, and I went to work for the state of Florida uh, for about a year before I got into this industry. Um, and it was just completely random. I didn't know what a public adjuster was. I was still in college. And I got a call from an ex-coworker of mine who had gone to work with his cousin, who was a public adjuster, and told me they were hiring, and he thought it was a great fit. And I was like, I don't know. I just It was just an opportunity. I wasn't even looking for it. It kind of just you know came to me. Um, and that's how I got introduced into the public adjusting world. Um, and then slowly, you know, 12 years later in that company, I, I learned, you know, every aspect of the company, every part of, you know, 
the business, the claim process and, you know, appraisal and all of that. Um, and so being in the industry or being, you know, and then people would ask me like, what do you do? Oh, I work for public, well, what's a public adjuster? And I, I just kind of found myself constantly explaining what I did or what the company I work for did, what a public adjuster was. Um, and so a couple of times I considered becoming a public adjuster. I graduated, you know, got my degree in uh, public administration, decided I didn't, I didn't want to go back into that, you know, field. I'm sure that happens often. Um, and then, um, so I, a few years ago, I, I, you know, I met Edgar, who's the president of Monarch Claims, and he kept telling me, you know, even a few years before I joined Monarch, you know, could become a public adjuster, become a public adjuster. And I had so many family and friends that I would refer to the company I work with, because, you know, if you know somebody who works somewhere, you need their services, why would you call anybody else? Um, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yep. My, my internet said it was a, a little unstable. I'll make sure you notice me. Um, so throughout those years, um, I just unknowingly created this huge network of people that would just keep referring clients to me that I would refer to the company and they kept referring to me. And so when I finally decided, you know, to, to do this and come up with Monarch and Public Adjuster, um, those people kept calling me, you know, and that's how I didn't even know I had created this huge, you know, database of, of clients. And I, I honestly, I, I don't, I don't advertise. I don't personally, you know, I don't constantly look for new clients. It's all based on referrals of all the people for the last 14 years that have known what I do, the industry that I'm in that keep calling me, that refer their family, their friends. Um, and that's how I got into the public adjusting world. It just that, pure coincidence. <laughs> I tell, I tell everybody all the time, like I can teach you everything there is about claims. I can teach you how to properly take photos, how to put together an estimate, how to sketch a house, how to scope a loss, how to follow up with the insurance company, how to gather documentation, how to do all this stuff, but you're not doing any of that stuff if you don't have claims. Exactly. So, you yeah. know, it goes back to the EQ of people right. trusting you, knowing you and feeling comfortable to actually proceed with that claim. Sarah, what was your story? Why public adjusting? So weird. Uh, well, I've got a question for you too, Brittany. So you're, you're next. Man, I think a lot of people kind of just fell into this. Uh, so I had a, a very good friend who had a fire loss, a very tragic one, lost everything. House completely burned to the ground. And um, she had hired a public adjuster. And unfortunately, it was a nightmare experience um, with both her insurance company and her public adjuster so being with her and supporting through supporting her through that whole experience um you know first my question to her was was what is a public adjuster um and uh she told me you know about it and everything like that and she's like I think you could do better and I looked into it and I was like yeah I think I could try that out it's um it was quite fascinating. There's there's information about it on the internet, but when you really look into it, it's this fascinating blend of, you know, forensics and science and meteorology, construction, um, architecture. I mean, the list is endless. And so it was just very intriguing. And um, I had considered getting my law degree at some point. And I figured if I try out being a public adjuster, you know, it seems like this is sort of in the same area of advocacy and um, I just fell in love with it from day one. Since I, when I opened the study book, I was like, this is for me. So that's awesome. Um, I know Brittany, you get a lot of messages. I only, well, I don't know. I only know because when you do that question thing where people, you 
ask me anything or whatever. It seems to me from what I've seen that you get you get a lot of questions about people uh, interested in be in, in in becoming lawyers and getting into your industry. What's some of the advice that you give for people who are who are thinking about uh, practicing your kind of law, insurance insurance law, and everything that you do on a daily basis? Yeah. So, I mean, for the the newbie people who are, you know, like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to do this kind of law or, you know, what, whatever else. I mean, it, at the end of the day, you can do so much with a law degree. If you find a path that you want to take and then you're, you're torn between that and a law degree, I would obviously say try the other thing out first. But if you're really interested, you know, get the law degree. I loved, you know, learning about the law, learning how lawyers think. That's the whole point of law school is just to teach you how to think like an attorney. Um, I think it's totally worth it. I loved it. Um, and then people who are trying to find their practice area, I always think that you should go wherever like you're you're constantly thinking, wherever your your desire lays. So you know, I have people who are like, oh, like this industry's so hot right now, I want to get into it. But I really like family law, and I'm like, okay, well then do family. Like you know, wait, where if you're if you're thinking like this is cool, I want to get into this, and you keep thinking about a practice area, keep thinking about something, then you know, go go do that, right? Try it out if you hate it try something different. You don't have to stick to one practice area forever. I kind of like fell into this, this practice area kind of came to me, so to speak. But it, you know, what, if you can't stop thinking about something, if you're like, this is really, I want to try this out, go try it. Could be think, awesome. Could be exactly think, what we want to do. I think we could all agree. It sort of came to us. It's just sort of <laughs> how it went. You know, it's just sort of like, I never even mm -hmm. knew what a public adjuster was until I was teaching tennis and my student was a public adjuster. That's my story. He was coming for four lessons per week at $75 a lesson. He was he was going he was coming twice a week in the morning and bringing his kids twice a week in the evening, and he was always there. I'm like, where do you find the time and the money to do this? He's like, I'm a public adjuster. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is that? So I did a little research and I found out. Well, uh, what about you, Yuli? What do you what's some of the advice that you would give for? Let's go let's go with female with a woman who's on the fence thinking about it. Do I want to become a public adjuster? Is this something that I want to pursue? Do I want to get into this industry? What's some of the advice that you would give? Um, I mean, I first have them like, what are the reasons you want to get into it? Like, what do you like about it? Is it, you just, you know, the money? <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. It's the money, but then you have to see like, what's the work? Do I like the money that's going to give me the work? Or am I just going to do this? You know, is it just going to be a job? And you know, it's going to, cause a lot of things could, you know, make you money, but do you like, you know, so try it out. Um, speak to other public adjusters, interview other public adjusters, watch some podcasts, you know, educate yourself um, and, and find out what does the job entail? Is it something that I would like, that I would enjoy? The money will come. And, you know, we, we hear that all the time. Um, it's not the only industry where you could make a lot of money, but is it something that you think you would be passionate about? Would you enjoy it? Would you enjoy helping, you know, homeowners um, and the process that it takes to help? Because, you you know, may want to help, but, you know, you're going to enjoy the process, you know, um, retaining clients. That's a big part of our job is looking for clients, you know, um, the sales part of it. So you have to kind of look, you know, educate yourself on every aspect of, of the career of the job. Um, like I said, interview, talk to other public adjusters, find out if it's something that, you know, you think you would enjoy and give it a try. Again, just try it out. You don't like it, then on to the next, you know, but, uh, but give it, a, you know, find out and give it a chance. How about you, Sarah? What's some of the advice you'd give for somebody who's on the fence, who's really thinking about it? Man, I'm not sure. So I'm very much an all or nothing, 110% like take chances person. So if they're on the fence, I don't know that I can help them. <laughs> <laughs> just go, just go, just, just do it. Go. Take a leap of faith. Try it out. Yeah. I mean, 
I think it's a great industry. I've been doing it for a long time. I got into it because I always wanted to be a sports agent. That was like my dream. I wanted to be a sports agent. I wanted to be a sports agent. And then, unfortunately, I found out that most sports agents are actually attorneys. And I was never good at school. <laughs> school was never my thing. <laughs> I was always good at when they gave me my grades. You know how the week before your report card came out, your teacher would give you your grade and what you're going to get? In that week, I would get all of my grades changed up one letter grade by the time the report card came out. That's what I was good at. Hey, what can I do, teacher? What can I do to get my grade up? Do I have to do a little extra credit? What can I do? So when it came down to actually finding out, and I was a sports management major, I found out I had to go to law school to be a sports agent. I tried. I took the LSAT. Didn't do good. Realized I didn't want to do this. When they told me about public adjusting, I actually found a blog that compared a public adjuster to a sports agent. And that was it. Oh, wow. The rest is history. <laughs> because that's what we do as public adjusters. No, we are not attorneys, but we are representing our clients. We're gathering the facts. We're gathering the evidence. And we're trying to negotiate on their behalf to try to get them as much money for what they're deserved uh, on that insurance claim. Um, does anybody have any comments in regards to just, uh, I guess, I don't know. I kind of ran out of some questions. Can't think of anything really good here. You mentioned something, Sarah, about evidence. One thing I think is great about Sarah, how she compared her public adjusting to, what'd you say? <laughs> a little bit of forensics, a little bit of architect, a little bit of... You take this industry, you take this to a whole other level. Brittany, I'd love for you to see one of Sarah's files one day. <laughs> Me too. I'm like looking forward to reading her blogs. So, Sarah, <laughs> so I guess I should have also talked about why I have each of you on here. Let's, I'll start with Sarah. One of the reasons why I have Sarah on here is, like I said in the beginning, she took our course, but Sarah fascinates me. Sarah's very, very, very smart. And she takes her claims to a whole other level, uh, a level even above mine. And I do my best to get experts. I get expert documentation wherever I can. I do my best to try to get the claim resolved and, again, provide all that documentation to try to get resolved to, frankly, Brittany, would, I'm sure, would agree anyway, to try to avoid having to go to litigation. If I need litigation, sure, obviously, it's there. And still, a good amount of my claims end up there anyway. But Sarah has a way of really digging into the policy, reading that policy language, looking at that and and that or that could really change the definition of what they think is defined in the policy as to what is not. And then also building codes is something that Sarah is very involved with. Um, I don't have a specific question, Sarah, but could you tell me, could you tell us and enlighten us a little bit about sort of your style as a public adjuster? Yeah, so um, my style, as it were, of uh, being a public adjuster essentially developed from uh, necessity. So I, I very much believe in putting myself in uncomfortable and new things and situations continually because that's how you grow as a person, see what you can do. Um, every person, oh, the potential, the potential in every person is, you know, limitless. So um, I'm always pushing the envelope. Um, but in addition to that, I'm in a state where you do not win attorney's fees if you are a policyholder. So if I would like to stay in business and be effective for my clients, the buck stops at me. I am the expert. There is nobody else. There's no cavalry coming. There's no attorney coming for a lot of them, especially uh, for my residential clients. Um, so really, um, mainly out of necessity. We also don't have the wealth of third-party experts that other states like Florida do or East Coast, California, 
uh, Texas, we simply don't have a lot of those professionals available. Um, and if they are available, they're typically going to be most cost effective um, because they're very expensive um, because there are only a few on commercial HOA multifamily claims. So really, if I just had to, had to do learn you, it. Do you have an example of something or of a claim here recently where you were really able to sort of dig into the policy and call them out and some of their BS, uh, what they were trying to propose to you as to what was you know going to be covered or not? Yeah, um, I guess I'll give an example of, uh, it was one of my very first claims ever. I'll give you an example of that I think would be helpful. Um, so it was a weather-related cause and date of loss dispute, which are very common um, in all markets. And um, the adjuster was relying on NOAA data, which is very reliable, but NOAA specifically uses data from spotters, trained spotters. So here I had this client is one of my first claims. The claim was completely denied. And, you know, the adjuster saying, well, there was no, no hail on this date. You know, there was no wind on this date um, at this location. And so just my mind is definitely geared toward why and finding an answer, so why? Um, so I started digging and I found, you know, I said, okay, well, where does NOAA, I asked the adjuster, where did you get your data? And he said, NOAA. And then I went to NOAA and I said, where do you get your data? And they said, you know, you can go on their website. And I also called one of their meteorologists and asked them as well. Um, and I found out where they got their data. And then I just connected A and B. And I said, well, if you guys rely on trade spotters, it doesn't mean that your information is not correct. It just means that there was no spotter at my client's house on the date of loss. And then all it took was for me to order a meteorology report from a meteorologist, not an algorithm, um, to produce, you know, it's called forensic meteorology, it basically piece together um, likely weather events on that date of loss. So, um, and I was able to get that approved. So it's just really digging into why, 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 and is there information to, and facts to back that up. Told you, told you guys. <laughs> Sarah's a beast. Um, what about you, Yuli? You have a claim uh, that you could think about that you were able to sort of, you know, do what you had to do to, to basically call the insurance company out and said, hey, you know, what you're doing here, uh, it's wrong. No way, Jose. Can you think of one? Well, I, I know, one that you on I, spot. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm thinking of one recently that we had, um, and it was after Tropical Storm Ada, um, and it was a denial. So one thing that we like to do is we always attempt to overturn denials, and we have actually been very successful at those. Um, because, you know, also we like to gather our information, everything in advance, we don't show all of our cards, you know, so uh, once we're presented with a denial, then we go back in the claim, review everything and see if there's anything that we can point out. Um, and so we had this one particular claim, I'm not going to mention the, the carrier, but um, it was denied. Um, and uh, they said, you know, so it was wear and tear, you know, typical. And so the homeowner had purchased the home. Um, I think it was maybe like somewhere close to a year before, you know, home inspection reports, things like that. Um, and just to make a long you know, story short, we attempted to overturn denial, 
presented, you know, this, you know, home inspection reports that showed there was no prior damage. So there's no wear and tear that happened in the course of, you know, a few months or a year. Um, and um, then the adjuster comes back and says, you know, they're, they're standing by their denial. So great, you know, the insured decided, you know, to pursue litigation. And remember the day that the insured um, signed the retainer with an attorney, I got a call from a newly assigned examiner say, uh, saying, you know, they have reevaluated, you know, the case and our request to overturn the denial and they were issuing an undisputed payment. Um, so from a denial, the undisputed payment was somewhere around 33,000. Um, then of course it went to appraisal. The final appraisal award, which went to umpire was signed for $119,000. So this was a denial to undisputed all the way, you know, to an umpire, but uh, it was settled for $119,000. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So we love those. Um, yes. We say, you know, the client, you know, they could have been they could have spent another two years, you know, with the, and this is, their ceiling had collapsed. So this is, you know, it was a big case where the ceiling collapsed um, in their living room. Um, they're obviously $120,000 worth, you know, of damage. It was, it was a big claim, but um, it's just so unfair to see how they, you know, they would deny something or they would attempt to at least deny it and see how far us as public adjusters are willing to go and how far the homeowners are willing to go as well, because, um, Sometimes they tried, you know, to bank on maybe the insured will get desperate and they don't want to wait and, you know, they, they, they'll settle first for less. So we were able to, to overturn that denial and that's something that we were very proud of. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think here in Florida, we have a little bit of an epidemic as public adjusters where we're so used to uh, seeing a denial, handing it off to an attorney like Brittany, like go ahead and take it when we don't really even give it a shot. We don't even give it a try. Like, Hey, what can we work with? Sarah does not have that, uh, I guess, benefit to just go ahead and do that. She's going to have to really dig deep and figure it out and try to find the coverage if it's there. Um, but you know, obviously in Florida, I think we need to, I need to, I think we need to step our game a little bit because I'm sure Brittany, you could agree if we do get a denial as a public adjuster and we give it a shot to try to reverse it and they stick with it, if in our shot that we give, we provide documentation, we provide evidence that supports our argument and whether or not they want to stick with their decision or not, I think, Brittany, you could agree it's going to make your case a lot stronger now where you're like, look, you guys denied this claim, but my public adjuster already provided more than enough evidence to prove that this case needs to be paid. Right. But I will say that sometimes even if you exhaust all your options, you've done everything you possibly could, you hand it off the attorney, sometimes it's helpful. And I'm thinking of one specific case, an Irma case, really nice older couple, huge, huge, huge property, huge ranch house, barn, several acres, they had horses, and it was denied. Went to litigation, we ended up actually getting the field adjuster's photos. And I mean, they were like, 500 photos and of course they gave them to us in a you know a jumbled mess and all these filed files but there was one photo where a tree had hit like a corner of the roof and that was literally all we needed to overturn the denial and get them you know 150 grand to get the roof replaced and fix everything else so sometimes necessary if you're not getting all the information and if you've exhausted all your options and you've given all your information there still might be something out there but yes i completely agree and what would you, what would you be, uh, what's the advice you'd want to give to public adjusters to make sure that they're doing the job that they're supposed to be doing so that in the case the claim does get denied or whatever it is and you take it, you have a nice solid case to really, to build on. What's really helpful for us is if the adjusters take notes, like very copious detailed notes about everything that's going on. 
not just even a timeline. I, I mean, I love timelines when they're given to us, but something about, hey, this adjuster said this, or you know, this person was only in the attic for a minute and a half, only popped his head in. You know, those little details like that are helpful if it's denied and it comes to us and we have to start taking depositions we can then use that information to get deeper into what we need to know from the field adjuster, the, the corporate rep, whoever, you know, we're speaking with. Sarah, can, can you record without the other person knowing in Minnesota? Um, so in Minnesota is a one party consent state, but um, we, we don't utilize that. Many do, but we don't. I'm just asking because I want to go back to Brittany. Um, I heard somebody explain to me the other day hearsay, um, I like to note take the file as soon as possible. As soon as the, as soon as we have an inspection, my strategy, cause again, I told you guys my writing, I don't like to write too much. I'll send a voice note to my assistant and she'll put it into the notes. Uh, but there is a factor there is there. It does affect if I note take that inspection a week or a month after, as opposed to on the day of or the day after, correct? Yeah. I mean, not even, I wouldn't try to submit your voice memos or your notes you know, as evidence, it's, it's, it's really for us to know what we need to be asking about and looking for so we can help build the evidence for the case. But, you know, it, I, from any kind of standpoint, if you're taking notes, I would do it at like during that time. So if I go to a, an inspection, doesn't matter whose inspection it is, I'm taking notes furiously through the entire thing, because I know that 15 minutes after an hour after a day after, especially a week after, I'm not going to remember 80% of what happened. Yeah. And then it's not admissible, right? Anyway? None of that is actually admissible. But it's discoverable. Discoverable, maybe. Not my notes. Possibly your notes. I'd still fight that. <laughs> um, I want to go to you guys individually. Uh, we don't have too much more here. Um, some of the stuff that you guys are doing to help grow your business, I'd like to go, uh, I guess, one by one. Some of the things that you guys are doing as business owners um, to help grow your business grow your brand and, and try to take your job and take your, your, your sort of profession to the next level. Uh, Sarah, I'd like to start with you. Uh, what are, wh where are you going now, uh, in regards to, I guess, online, social media, in person, whatever it is, what are some of the things that uh, we can look forward to from Sarah Parker? Oh, well, along the, uh, policyholder advocacy and, um, just basic policyholder education about insurance, because people really just do not understand anything about insurance. Um, most of their education comes from, you know, advertising. So you're going to have a lot of that, um, you know, we're going to take great care of you, you know, all of those things. Um, but even when I tell clients, your policy is a contract, they're like, oh, I, I didn't think of it that way, you know, and um and the bar to entry with this knowledge is quite high. You know, I've had, um, I've had quite a few uh, clients that are attorneys or lawyers, very incredibly intelligent people that are like, look, I don't know this area of law. I'm going to hire you as my expert and I'm going to rely on you because I know enough to know what I don't know. So, and I don't want to mess it up. So um, we're really, really ramping up the education piece of it. Uh, we're going to be curating policyholder resources. Um, I'm going to be in my blog. I have all kinds of, you know, policy excerpts and things like that that people need to be watching out for. Um, and then also with the policyholder advocacy piece, you're going to see 
a lot of me <laughs> with uh, volunteering um, with United Policyholders, especially uh, as long as a couple of other groups. And I already volunteer 300 hours per year to policyholder advocacy, and I have for four years straight. So, um, but you're going to see some concentrated efforts and some some neat things coming. So, that's yeah. awesome, um, Sarah. Where can they find your blog? It's not so, out yet. Yep, it's it's okay. there. It is a PPA claim. That's Parker Public Adjusting. PPAclaim.com slash blog, and we have the Claim Pulse blog. Um, and you can also follow us on social media. We will be having. Um, you know, if you prefer not to read the long form blog, and they will be long form, if any of you who are watching are familiar with anything you've seen me write, you know that I am not light on the words. Um, but if you just want a gentle educational drip, you can follow our social media here shortly and we'll have that for you too. So guys, you have to follow Sarah because you're going to get a wealth of information. Julie, Thank what you. about you? What's, uh, what's on the forefront for, uh, Ms. Julie Ibarra and her public adjusting career. All right. Well, um, as Monarch, we're, you know, we always have a lot of plans, um, but it's for us right now, we're concentrating on, you know, the branding. Um, we're already in multiple states. So we really want to, you know, fine tune those processes and, and be, you know, a national public adjuster, uh, being able to offer services, you know, nationwide um, and, and just kind of like streaming, you know, the, the services that we offer and transferring that from here, from our headquarter office, into other, you know, other offices as well in other states. So, um, still very early on. You know, we're just in, in two other states, but that's it's our is our goal is to to expand and offer well, services. Well, you've guys got it in place. Uh, another book that I I rave about is called the E Myth. E Myth Revisited is the newer version of it, and what the E Myth talks about is about basically putting your policies and procedures so tight so tight from A to Z that you could literally take your business and whether you want to sell it or just give it to somebody who doesn't know the first thing about public adjusting, they can take these policies and procedures and run a successful public adjusting firm. And the reason why I bring that up is every time I talk to Edgar or Yuli or it's about Monarch, that's like, in my opinion, what they really specialize in and they've got it tight and it's, it's fantastic. So I think you guys are going to be extremely successful in, in, in going like that and doing that. Thank you. And Miss Alexander, Miss <laughs> Miss at Lawyer Brit on IG <laughs> on Insta. Lawyer dot Brit. Lawyer dot Brit. You couldn't get Lawyer Brit. <laughs> it didn't look as good. Oh, I see. It's all a part of the branding. <laughs> but what, I do what? have a trademark, so anybody listening, you cannot use Lawyer Brit. Of course you do. Like any other attorney, <laughs> of course you do. Uh, what about you, uh, Brittany? What do you got in the forum? I'm sure you got a lot of plans. What's some of the things that you've got uh, sort of to look forward to? Yeah, so I am really looking forward to some events that are happening at the end of this year. Roof conference, educational, I can't wait. Um, commercial commercial that commercial claims <laughs> Miami meetup November 19th in that Miami. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Going off what Sarah was saying. So yes, people are very undereducated about insurance. I've tried to combat this obviously through social media, but what people don't see behind the scenes is for all of our clients, the people who have signed our contract and we are working on their claim, they have access to what we call the litigation success guide, which is a library of videos that explain, I mean, specifically litigation, but insurance litigation. So, you know, I can tell a client, I can send an email and say, hey, just an update on your case. We've got 
defendant's motion for extension of time to respond to our discovery. And they're going to say, that's gibberish. What does that mean? And so we've collected these, you know, I'm recording these videos to explain, well, this is what a motion for extension of time is. Here's how that works. Here's how it affects discovery. Here's what discovery is. Here's how you prepare for your, you know, engineer's inspection or your deposition. So educating, educating, educating like crazy, because this is, you know, it's, it's a frustrating, sometimes somewhat scary time for a lot of our clients because, you know, this is their home, you know, they've got damage, they don't understand why their insurance company is not paying. So trying to provide as many resources as possible to educate the client. We have plenty, but I, I can't wait to record more. Awesome. Okay. Education is key, right? I mean, it's so important. I mean, nobody still, I still meet people. What's a public adjuster? What's a public adjuster? They, they just don't know anything about our industry. Ladies, this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you three are true leaders in this industry, not just on a female standpoint, although I just was excited to have three females on the podcast. Just in general, in general, you three are significant leaders in this industry, and I was, uh, I'm just really happy to have had you on. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on, sharing your story, um, sharing your, your knowledge and expertise in this industry. And I truly feel that the four of us, We'll continue to build on this relationship. Anything that you guys need from me at all, I hope you guys know that I will be there, whatever you guys need. And I hope the same goes for you guys as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. That was fun. Yeah, Thanks, Ben. Thank you, thank you. for having so much me. Fun. Pleasure it was to meet nice you guys. meeting you, ladies. Likewise. Yeah. Nice meeting you guys as well. Thank you.